Uh, I am going to preach to you today. We've been um, going through particularly the last few weeks, the Sermon on the Mount, as in our you know deep dive into the book of Matthew. And uh, I have been assigned this passage that I will read to you right now, Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. Whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool will be liable to hellfire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave there, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put into prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out of there until you've paid the last penny. So this is a beautiful passage of scripture, right? As I was preparing this, I was like, ooh, this is a little heavy, God. And I'm going to ask you, um, to, in a couple seconds, we're going to close our eyes and we're going to pray over this. And I'm just going to ask you to seek the Lord and say, what do you have in this for me? Because I think we can have a tendency to hear a words like the one I'm about to share with you and go, oh, I really hope so-and-so is listening to that, right? I really hope that my spouse hears this, or I wish my boss were here to hear this message, right? But one thing that we need to hear for our, is that this is for Amy Crop. Y'all don't need to know that. Y'all need to hear that it's for you. Because every, this passage is one of those passages where Jesus takes the Ten Commandments, right? And he says, oh yeah, you've been following the Ten Commandments. Good for you. You haven't murdered anyone lately. Excellent. Guess what? You're keeping the letter of the law, but Jesus came to fulfill the law. And Jesus recognizes that murder is not the biggest problem that we face. We have to deal with anger and hatred. So I'm going to pray, and I'm just going to ask you, please, to just bear your soul before the Lord and say, what's for me here, God? Not what's for my neighbor. Not what's for, you know, that guy who cut me off on the road yesterday. What's for me? God, we come before you humbly, asking you, God, to reveal to us with your Holy Spirit, with the conviction of your Holy Spirit, where we have been wrong, where we have not lived according to your word, according to your example. God, show us what you would have for us in this passage. Teach us your ways. And God, don't let us just stop there with recognizing that we have faults, but let us turn and run from them. Give us the strength, God, to resist the temptation to be angry, to hate. Give us the strength, God, to reach out to someone and, and ask for help. Give us the humility to receive your conviction, no matter how it comes to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So, you've heard it said, you shall not murder. 
We all know this. There are consequences to murder, right? If you are caught and you are convicted, then you will go to prison or worse if you murder. But are there consequences to anger? Yes. You may not go to jail. And yet, Jesus said, if you are angry with your brother, you are liable to judgment. I would suggest to you that the judgment he's talking about is scarier than any judgment you will face in a court of law. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. In the King James, it says, whoever says to his brother, Raka. That word, Raka, according to Web Bible Encyclopedia, is this. It means empty, empty-headed, stupid, a numbskull who acts presumptuously or thoughtlessly, worthless, good for nothing. It is derived from the, from the root word to spit. Okay. It's more than an insult, right? You worthless, you know. It, uh, according to Dr. William Smith, he says it denotes a certain looseness of life or manners that it's used to express contempt for a man's intellectual capacity. <laughs> you're brainless. That's what you're saying to somebody. Then when it says that if you call your brother a fool, you're in, you are liable to the hell of fire. The hell of fire, we probably think about that as an end of life, you know, sort of consequence, right? Well, in looking that up again, if you read it in the Greek, he's saying you are liable to go to Gehenna. You guys familiar with Gehenna? Maybe you are, maybe you are not. It is the place when the evil kings of Israel would go and they would make child sacrifice to gods like Molech there. And along came Josiah, and Josiah tried to reform the, the, the land. And in his reformation, he found this evil place of child sacrifice. And he made it a garbage heap. And they would, uh, that was where the people would go, and they would put their garbage. And there was a continual fire burning there all the time to try and defile this ungodly place. And this is what Jesus says. If you call your brother a fool, you may as well go throw yourself in that heap of garbage that's burning, that, that awful, unspeakable things happened there. How about that? Just by saying, you fool. Um, I, I read, again, in Web Bible Encyclopedia, they talked about how Jesus seems to be sort of showing a progression here, that there is an inner feeling of anger expressed in the beginning, that if you are angry inside, that you're, I mean, like, just think about that. If you are angry, you are punished by uh, the court. But if that comes out and it ex it's expressed in scorn or in an insult, that that means you are punished by the Sanhedrin or the council. And if that anger culminates in abusive and defamatory language, that your ultimate punishment is Gehenna. This progression of anger, this progression of, hanger, of, of hatred, this is serious, right? It's very serious. Jesus condemns all forms of anger here, the inward anger, 
the annoying, uh, annoyance-based anger, and then the outright rage. He flips it and he says, you guys, when you're angry, it's just like murder. And then I think it's interesting because the next place he goes to is he said, so if you're offering your gift at the altar and there realize that your brother has ought against you, leave your gift at the altar, go and be reconciled with your brother. He doesn't even address the fact that if you're the one who's angry, you got to do something about it. He says, if, if you have done something that causes someone else to be angry with you, you go and fix it. So he's, he's basically saying here in my mind, you have, if you are angry, you need to deal with that because otherwise there's going to be consequences. And then he says, and if you've caused somebody else to sin in anger against you, you have to deal with that because they're going to face the consequences. And the loving thing to do is to reach out to them and say, what did I do? Let's, let's, let's work through this. Please forgive me so that they won't be in danger of the same judgment. Amazing, right? Jesus flipped it. He always flips it. Jesus demonstrated his covenant in, in the Trinity. That's what Dad talked about the last time he shared with us, right? That the ultimate expression of covenantal relationship is with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And that as he created us in his image, he created us for covenantal relationship with one another. The same covenant they have. Can you imagine for one second Jesus getting angry with God? No, never. Can you imagine the Holy Spirit condemning Jesus, calling him a fool? No, and yet we do it to one another all the time. We do it to one another. It was an interesting um, experience I had lately when my children actually loved Dennis and me enough to sit down and look us in the eyes and say, when you guys fight with one another, it hurts us. It hurts us. You're hurting each other, and you all need to deal with that. But it, and this is like, I was annoyed because of the way he was driving. Because he's... He's annoying, guys. I mean, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. You know, and we're nitpicking over at each other. And my kids were like, you have to stop. It hurts. You're hurting each other and you're hurting us. I had this experience this week where I was having a rough day. Y'all can excuse me for having a rough day, right? Thanks. And I was in one of my classes and I got kind of snippy with one of my students. And I said something unkind. And I saw I saw her face, and I said, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have said that. And she went, oh, it's okay. And I said, no, it's not. I'm sorry. It wasn't about you. It's about me, and I'm just, you know, having a rough day. And I was so convicted because I saw the look on her face, and I went to her afterwards, and I said, sweetheart, please forgive me. I was wrong. And she said, I probably did something to deserve it. And I said, first, I think what her words actually were is, I was being annoying. I was being annoying. I deserved it. I said, first of all, you weren't being annoying. Secondly, even if you were, that, didn't, that did not deserve my comment to you. It didn't. And you know what she said to me? 
I'm used to it. I'm used to it. Now, I don't know what she was talking about. I didn't press her. Is she used to it from me? Is she used to it from her other teachers? Is she used to it from her siblings, her parents, her friends? Where do we get off in the body of Christ getting our kids used to hearing insulting comments? That they can just say, well, I probably deserved it. Oh, I'm used to it. No, no. I was so convicted in that moment. If someone loves you enough to talk about your tendency to be angry after today, listen to them. What are some of the reasons we get angry? Just kind of soul searching, you know, um, loss of control. I feel like I'm out of control, so I get angry about that. Maybe it's jealousy. Maybe it's feeling like you, ha- you, you know, stepped on my toes or, or took something that I deserved. Or maybe we're prideful and our pride has been hurt or we're selfish. We want our own way. Maybe we're shamed. We're ashamed of something we've done. Righteous indignation, that's one of my favorites, right? Oh, it's righteous anger. Jesus kicked the, the you know, tables of the money changers over. Jesus was angry. Really? Really? Is that our excuse? Jesus saw people being oppressed and abused in his temple, and he got upset about it, and that gives me a right to flip the middle finger to the person who just cut me off. Right? We know we shouldn't be angry, but is it murder? Does it rise to the level of murder? That's what Jesus is saying here. Well, I want to take a look at some familiar murderers in Scripture. Maybe ones we think about, maybe ones we don't. Let's look at what we see here. Starting in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. What an interesting comment there. His face fell, you know. Now, I heard somebody say recently, it was Tim Mackey of the Bible Project said recently, it doesn't say in here that God says to Cain, I don't like you. He doesn't say, you can never give me an offering that will ever satisfy me. He doesn't say, I love your brother more than I love you. He doesn't say any of that. He just says, I'm really grateful because Abel brought me the best of what he had, and you just kind of brought me whatever was left over. Is the implication here, right? What is Cain's response? What, what can Cain do? He gets angry, but he doesn't get angry at the person he should be angry towards, right? Himself, maybe? The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? Go ahead, give me another offering. It's okay. We'll work through it, Cain. If you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Oh, what, what an interesting picture. Sin right there. I 
think of the Incredible Hawk. We'll talk about him in a minute. But like that sin, that's just like that anger that's just there, ready to consume Cain. Its desire is contrary to you, and you must rule over it. So what does Cain do? Well, he spoke to his brother. I'm sure it was a nice conversation, right? Hey, tell me what you did. I want to learn from you and do better. When they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground, and now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, you shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Interesting. Sounds like Gehenna a little bit, huh? My punishment is greater than I can bear, but I'm not dead. My brother's dead, but this punishment is greater than I can bear? Behold, you have driven me today from the ground. From your face I shall be hidden. Now God did not say that to him. God did not say, I'm going to hide my face from you. Who is Cain looking like here? Looking a little bit like his parents, right? They sinned. They knew they sinned. They hid from God. Cain knows he sinned, so he hides himself from God. At least he thinks he does. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. The Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. The Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then... Cain went away from the presence of the Lord. Cain had a lot of options here, didn't he? He could have gone and offered a better, a better offering. He could not have killed his brother, or after killing his brother, he could have admitted that he was wrong to kill his brother. And what does Cain do? He leaves the presence of the Lord. He leaves the presence. The Lord did not kick him out. He left the presence of the Lord willingly. Why? Because when we are angry, when we murder, we don't want to face God, do we? Like, does I've been angry before, guys. Anybody in here with me? I didn't leave that moment and go, thank you, God, you're so wonderful. Oh, how he loves me. No. It was not a time I wanted to see God at all because I was so consumed with my own frustrations and anger. It says that his face fell. Um, again, Tim Mackey in the Bible Project, they explained that anger in scripture says that his, his nose became hot. That's one of the ways they describe anger in scripture. His nose became hot. <laughs> Adam's looking at me funny. Yes, it's an interesting picture, right? Because for your nose to become hot is, you know, like when you get angry and your face gets red, right? The nose being kind of the first thing you see on someone's face, I guess. I don't know. But that's how they phrase it. His nose burned with heat. Interesting picture. Now let's see how John talks about Cain in 1 John 3.11. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hurts you. 
hates you. I mean, like, what does one have to do with the other? Don't be like Cain and hate. Don't be surprised if the world hates you. Does the world's hatred of you give you cause to be angry? No. We know that we have passed out of death into life. How? Because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. But everyone who hate, And everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. You know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart to him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us love not in, uh, in, not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. Wow, we're given a lot of options here, all in the context of Cain hating his brother so much that he murdered him, all in the context of the world hating you because love abides in you and your option to hate back, to hate, hate the world back, to hate your brother back, or to love. And what does love look like? He says it. You have goods. You see your brothers in need. You meet the need. Interesting. Do you make those connections? I don't make those connections. I shouldn't be anger, angry, I should give to the poor. They don't seem to go together, and yet John here is saying that they do. And the beautiful thing is that, unlike Cain, when we walk away from God because we are ashamed of our anger and our hatred, we don't see his face. But this, John is saying, when you love indeed in truth, when you love your neighbor as yourself, you abide in love. And eternal life abides in you. So we have the same options that Cain has. We can either hate our brother and hate the world or love our brother, love the world, and we either have the option to hide our face from God or to abide in him. The world needs to be able to look at us and see love and see Jesus and see that light and not see anger and bitterness and hatred. All right, let's look at another story. This is Exodus chapter 2, verse 11. One day, Moses had grown up. Okay, so we look at Cain and we go, well, he was a bad dude. Let's talk about Moses. Good dude, right? We like Moses. We want to be like Moses. All right. He went out to his people, looked on their burdens, and saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Okay. He looked this way and that. You just have this, like, I don't see anybody. I think, I think it's safe. I can kill this Egyptian. Why would he do this? I actually heard someone say one time that it's, you know, like the, the implication here is that Moses knew he was supposed to save his people. He knew it. And he probably thought to himself, here's a way I can help, right? Let me kill this guy. 
When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together, and he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? Ah, so it's, you're okay if you hurt the enemy. It's not okay if you hurt your friend. He answered, who made you a prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Yikes, I guess he didn't look behind him. Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian and sat down by a well. All right, now, let's chat about this. I might be stretching things a little bit, but I think you might see some truth in this. Moses knew it was wrong to kill, but he figured, well, it's, it's my enemy. It's okay to kill my enemy. I'm actually doing God a favor here, doing my people a favor here, right? He took matters into his own hands. If he thought that he was potentially the savior of his people, he probably thought he was doing them a favor, right? After this, he leaves the land of Pharaoh, is what it says. Well, who else was in the land of Pharaoh? All of his people. All of the people who served God. He left his people too. And the truth is, for 40 years, he's going to have, he is not going to be able to advocate for those people. He's not going to do what God put him in the position in Pharaoh's house to do. He could have stayed there for 40 years and tried to make the burden on the people less, but instead, because of his rash, anger, frustration, what led him to murder, he has to flee for 40 years. Now, we would like, we, you know, the next time we see Moses, he's, you know, a better guy. He's learned a few lessons in 40 years. He gets some one-on-one -on -one conversation with God himself, and he goes back to free the people, and then he leads the people, and, you know, he's a, he becomes a good guy. But the thing is, he never quite gets over his anger, does he? Never quite conquers this frustration that he has. And we know it, because at the end of his life, he does something in anger, and because he lashes out in anger, he loses the opportunity to go into the promised land, and he never gets there because he's angry. The lesson from 80 years before, he did not learn. Now, God is faithful. God was faithful to Moses and through Moses. But even when we lash out at our enemies, there are consequences. All right, let's look at James chapter 1 and what he has to say about this. James, you know, the brother of Jesus, probably knew a thing or two. Know this, my beloved brothers, let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. There is nothing you can do in anger that will result in God's righteousness. Nothing. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Sounds a little bit like John, doesn't it? Don't just love in word and deed, but love in spirit and truth. He is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. The one who looks into the perfect law... The law that Chris talked to us about last week, right? The one fulfilled by Jesus, that law of liberty. He perseveres, being, a hear being no hearer but forget who forgets, the doer who acts. He will be blessed in his doing. 
If anyone thinks he is religious, you know, Moses, thinking he was called of God, thinking he was serving God, right? If anyone is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, ooh, deceives his heart, convinces yourself, I can do this, I should do this, it's my, it's my right, it's my calling, it's my purpose, He deceives his heart. This person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God is this. Visit the orphans and the widows in their affliction and keep yourself unstained from the world. Again, we're back to loving your neighbor, guys. Always comes back to that. We really want to be religious. We really want to be righteous and fulfill God's call. Well, it's not about anger. It's not about murder. It's about service. It's about bridling your tongue. It's about looking into the perfect law, which is love. All right, let's look at one more situation in 2 Samuel 2, verse 1. The Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. He brought it up, and it grew with him and his children. It used to eat out of, of his morsel and drink from the cup and lie in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man. He was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come for him. So he took the poor man's lamb, prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. Like David gets angry with this guy. How could he steal this poor guy's little lamb? He said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. David's anger leading him to want to kill somebody, right? He shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and he had no pity. Nathan said to David, you are the man. You are that man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house, your master's wives into your arms, gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. If this were too little, I would add to you as much as more, as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword, have taken his wife to be your wife. You've killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me. You took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. I will take your wives before your eyes, give them to your neighbor. He shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. You did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. Now we know what he's talking about here, right? David had seen Bathsheba and taken her, impregnated her. And when he found out that she was pregnant, His response was to try and convince Uriah to come home and have relations with his wife so that, you know, when she's pregnant, it'll, you know, Uriah would think it was his and that would be covered, right? But Uriah was a man of honor and would not do that. And so David's response to this man of honor was to have him killed. What's David's response to Nathan's very probably public addressing of what David did here. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. 
Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. David's instant reaction, confession, repentance, I've sinned. I'm confessing it to you, Nathan the prophet. And Nathan's response is, the Lord isn't going to hold it against you. The child did die, and there were consequences. But David did not die. Now, you might read this and go, well, David wasn't angry at Uriah. I, I think David was a lot angry. I think when David found out that he had impregnated Bathsheba, he was very angry at himself. I think he was so filled with shame. He knew what he had done. And self-hatred, self-loathing is a powerful motivation for anger and taking it out on someone else. In fact, I think it probably is the most powerful of motivators for people who live in anger. So they took it out on Uriah. He was probably angry with Bathsheba for getting pregnant. He was probably angry with himself for killing Uriah. Uh, He was probably angry with Uriah for not just coming home. If, If he had just come home and slept with his wife, then everything would have been okay. He was angry. And he lashes out in angry. However, despite the fact that he broke a whole lot of commandments, when he confessed his sin, salvation is nearer than we think. Let's read Romans 13. Oh, no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves has fulfilled the law. Isn't that beautiful? He broke the law, but when we love, we have the opportunity to fulfill the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does not wrong his neighbor. Therefore, love is fulfilling the law. Besides this, you know the time. The hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. Let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. We have this option, right? We can either walk in our lust to, you know, fulfill our fleshly desires, or we can fulfill the commandments we've been given. And they are summed up in love the Lord and love your neighbor. Now, lest we say, well, the Lord gets angry, because he does sometimes, right? Lest we say, like we say, like Jesus turned over the tables of the money changers, Jesus drove them out with whips, right? Anger can't be all bad because Jesus got angry. God got angry. Psalm 103 says this, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abiding in steadfast love. Slow to anger. You know this right here. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love is the most quoted scripture in the Old Testament. It is the one that is repeated the most. It starts in Exodus 34, and it continues over and over and over. 
The Lord is merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger and abounds in loyal love. Slow to anger. I said that anger in the Hebrew is your nose burns hot. Do you know what slow to anger is? He's long-nosed. He's long-nosed. It takes a long time for his nose to get hot. Isn't that beautiful? And it's couched in this, he's merciful and he's gracious and he abounds in love. He abounds, other verses add compassion. He's compassionate. Now, if you can be angry slowly, so I mentioned the Hulk before, right? There's that line in um, one of the Avengers movies where Captain America says to the Hulk, you know, how are, you know, what's, you know, how do you control your anger or how do we get you back down or whatever? And the Hulk says, here's the thing, I, I'm always angry, always angry. It just takes one to set him off and turn into the big green monster, right? I know people who are like the Hulk, are always angry, who are not just not long-nosed, they're so short-nosed that it takes one thing, sets them off. Always walking on pins and needles. You don't want to say the wrong thing to this person because they'll be the whole second. Opposite, opposite of the Lord because he is slow to anger. And it's couched in abounding, steadfast love, compassion, mercy, and graciousness. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins. Guys, if he did, if he was short-nosed and he dealt with us according to our sins, not one of us would be sitting here. If, if he treated us like I sometimes treat my children, we would not, I would not be standing here. Just being honest. He does not repay us according to our iniquities. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, he removes our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. But the Lord does get angry. Right? What makes him angry? Well, Gehenna made him angry. Right? Does he get annoyed when things aren't getting going his way? Does he get annoyed when, you know, that person cuts him off on his way to work? Does he get annoyed when the cashier takes too long at the grocery store, when his kids drop and break a bowl? Does he get angry when things don't go his way? All of the things that I get angry for, is that how God gets angry for? Uh-uh. He gets angry at injustice. He gets angry when he sees the widows and the orphans not being taken care of. When he sees the sick continuing to be sick, he gets angry. When he sees his children hurting each other and themselves, he gets angry. Even then, he is slow to act on that anger took generations for him to finally turn Israel and then Judah over to their punishment. He's constantly giving us a second chance. We get motivated by fear, shame, jealousy, selfishness. None of those things motivate the Lord. None of them. 
Proverbs 14 says, whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. So you see, we can get angry, but if you're slow to anger, you're showing understanding. If you're quick to anger, you're a fool. I didn't say it, Proverbs said it. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. If you're an angry person, you might be suffering from stomach issues, you might be suffering from your bones rotting, you might be suffering from other physical ailments, because that's what anger does, eats you up from the inside out. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but who is he who is generous to the needy honors him. Why is that there? It's like, I don't know if y'all see these messages, but over and over and over in scripture, he's like, you want to do the opposite of anger? Take care of people. And yet, what do we do? We very often get angry at the actual people we're supposed to be taking care of. The baby who won't stop crying, right? Right? I was at my sister's house last night, and her three-year-old was, you know, acting like a three-year-old. And the baby, the newborn, was crying during dinner, you know? Did my sister and her husband get angry at their kids for acting like kids? No. You sit down with them, you talk to them, you distract them, right? And yet, what do we do very often? We get angry with the very people, we get angry with the world for being the world, <laughs> we get angry with kids for being kids. We get angry with our spouse for, you know, breathing. I mean, I would never do that, but I'm glad you breathed, Dennis. Please keep breathing. All right. Let's read Ephesians 4. Now this I say and testify in the Lord. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous, have given themselves up to sensuality, greed, to practice every kind of impurity. Okay, again, are we angry at the world for acting like the world? Are we surprised when they act with sensuality and greed? Are we surprised that they walk in darkness? Why are we angry at them? That's what they do. They have become, I'm sorry, that is not the way you learned in Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and you were taught about him as the truth in Jesus. I love Paul's sarcasm here. I mean, I kind of think you've heard that you're not supposed to be angry at them and expect this. You've been taught by Jesus. You have the truth of Jesus in you. Put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. We are different. At least we ought to be. And I am so frustrated with the state of our country that so many Christian leaders are coming out so angry with the world. We're acting like the world and we're not looking at ourselves and going, we should not be angry. We don't get to be angry. We should not be surprised that they act like that. We should be compassionate and loving and gracious and slow to anger. That doesn't mean we don't call it out. That doesn't mean we don't acknowledge it as sin. 
But we first acknowledge our own sin. And I promise you, anger is a huge sin in the church. In leadership, we've seen leader after leader in the Christian church get thrown off his high horse because he was angry and he treated his people awful. And he should be taken out of that because we don't have a right to be angry. And I sound angry. Sorry about that. (laughs) Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not be hot-nosed. Give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal. Rather, let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is as good for building up. Oh my goodness, that's the point of our words. Building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. If the words coming out of your mouth do not extend grace to those who hear, you should not be saying them. And I don't care who it is that you're talking to. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even yourself, as God in Christ forgave you. Now, before you turn to your spouse, your friend, your neighbor, and say, were you listening? (laughs) Before you go home and sit down at the dinner table and say, so what'd you think of Amy's sermon today? You know, turn your reflection inside. Do you have a blind spot? I do think anger is a blind spot for a lot of people. I know it is for me. Is there something in you that you need to deal with? Is there someone you need to talk about? Not, not about. Please don't talk about. Oh, goodness, that was wrong. Don't talk about. Is there someone you need to go to? And if someone comes to you, consider your reaction. Let's not react in anger. Let's react in love. If you have a problem with anger, some people do. I think we all have a problem. I think it's fair to say we all have a problem with anger. Is that fair to say? Because anytime you're angry, it's a problem. But if you have a problem... Find somebody. Don't just go, okay, I confess my sin to the Lord. Confess your sin to one another that you can be healed. It's a hard word. Don't blame me. It's, you know, just the rotation. I just got this one. But I did a lot of soul searching this week. A lot. You know, last time I was here, I shared about um, the Beatitudes, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. And I talked about the fact that the first thing we should be mourning about is our own sin. And if we are angry, if we have hatred, if we even just get annoyed easily, then we need to deal with that and mourn over it and trust that the Lord will comfort us and heal us. Amen? Father, thank you so much. Thank you that you are merciful and gracious. 
that you are slow to anger because we deserve so much that we do not get from you. Thank you for your compassion, for your loyal, steadfast love. Lord, would you make us into a people who are so full of loyal, steadfast love, so full of compassion and mercy and graciousness that when we see things that make us angry in ourselves or in the people around us, that we would be slow to anger, that we would evaluate and decide, is it because we are like Cain and we are disappointed, or is it because we are jealous? Is it because we are like Moses and we think that we are righteous? Is it because we are like David and we're operating out of shame or jealousy or or um, wanting what someone else has? Whatever it is, God. We lay our hearts before you. We ask you to change us. Change us, Lord. May we be a people in Community Gospel Church. May we be a people in Oneonta and the part of the body of Christ. May may people look to your children and see love and not see anger. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.